Good morning, Resonate family. My name is Becky. I'm one of the pastors here at Resonate. I'm so glad you could tune in to our broadcast today. At Resonate, we are a community who loves like Jesus, and our hope and prayer for you is that this would be a transformative space for you, not just today, but every time you tune in. This morning, pastors Kevin and Jake are making their way through the Ironman course in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, 140 miles total of swimming, biking, and running. They have trained hard for this, and we are cheering them on today. The weather forecast has crept up to a balmy 100, so keep them in your thoughts and prayers for protection and good hydration while you're sitting at home in your AC or popping a cold one this afternoon. You can get online um, and follow live coverage of the Ironman after our broadcast if you want to see the action there today. We've been working through a section of Matthew's Gospel known as the Sermon on the Mount. We just finished the teaching known as the Beatitudes or the Blessed Bees, and today we are beginning a study of the next few verses, Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand, and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. For today, my focus is on that first verse, you are the salt of the earth. When I was about 10 or 11 years old, I started helping my mom and grandma in the kitchen, cooking and baking up family meals. I enjoyed putting ingredients together that would make something delicious like homemade spaghetti sauce or potato salad or blackberry pie, my favorite. We would also spend our summers putting up canned foods for the year, peaches and pears from my grandparents' orchard, green beans, and my favorite dill pickles. I was taught that it was the cook's privilege to test his or her creation for flavor. Does it need more oregano or cumin, sugar or salt? I learned quickly that salt makes a huge difference in the success of one's dish. Too little and it is bland. Too much and it becomes nearly sour. A good cook checks for salt to make sure that it is just right, savory and even a tad sweet. We've all had foods where there's not enough salt and unless it's a baked good, it's not too much of a problem. You can always salt, salt it to taste before eating, but too much salt, it's pretty much ruined. Salt is useful, effective, life-giving, and mysterious. It has been one of the most sought-after commodities in the history of the world since about 6,000 BC, according to Mark Kurlansky's book, Salt, A World History. A commodity so valuable, it served as currency. 
There have been wars and protests over salt, empires secured and revolutions inspired, cities and trade routes built because of salt. It's even difficult for us to comprehend why salt has been fought over when it's something we use so commonly, at little cost, today in our kitchens and on our dining tables. But for the history of the world, save the last 150 years or so until the invention of refrigeration, salt was necessary for life. It was crucial in the preservation of food. Think of this. You and I walk into the kitchen, open the fridge or freezer, and pull out food to eat every day. It's so common of a practice we don't even consider an alternative, unless we're camping or living outside. And we never think of how much we depend on our refrigerators until they die, and we have to scramble to fix or replace it. We once lost a freezer full of food at Symposium Coffee House because the freezer stopped working during one of our heat waves a few years ago. I remember nearly crying as I threw out all that food. And yes, we are keeping an eye on all those units this weekend. For all of humanity's history, until this current bleep in time, meats and other foods were kept underground or in cellars or layered in coarse salt to preserve it. My great-grandparents immigrated from Finland in the early 1900s to Astoria, Oregon. Grandpa's family were fishermen. He would tell me of how they would take their catch from the mouth of the Columbia River and layer it inside barrels layered with salt. With each layer of fish, they would pack down another layer of salt. This method created a brine and preserved the fish. He said it was the best, most tender and flavorful fish he had ever eaten. But salt was and still is used for all sorts of things, not just preserving food. In fact, an estimated 14,000 uses still exist today. There are, I'm sure, salt hacks we've never even heard of. How about these? Sprinkle salt in your stinky shoes and leave for a few days to absorb the odor. Pour salt onto a red wine spill and leave a few hours before vacuuming to remove the stain. Or to clean a glass coffee pot, fill it with one quarter cup of table salt and a dozen ice cubes. Swish the mixture around and let it sit for half an hour. Fill it with cold water and rinse. Or, to keep radishes safe in the garden from saltworms or cutworms, sprinkle the seeds with table salt and then cover with dirt. Besides preserving food, the ancients believed that salt would ward off evil spirits. Religious covenants were often sealed with salt, and I will speak to, uh, more to that in just a moment. Salt was used for medicinal purposes, to disinfect wounds, to check bleeding, stimulate thirst, and treat skin diseases. Roman soldiers were often paid in salt, hence our wor English word, salary, and the phrase, not worth one salt. 
The Romans also salted their vegetables like we do our S-A-L salads. And in the scriptures, there are many references and stories about salt that we could spend endless hours pouring over. Lot's wife is a good one, but one for another day. Salt seasons, preserves, purifies, fertilizes, and disinfects. Salt salt can also purge, poison, and destroy. In this teaching of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he was teaching on a mountainside to a crowd of people who began to notice and follow him because he was teaching something different from the Pharisees, the known gatekeepers of God's kingdom. He acknowledged the teachings of the scriptures, yet he spoke of them in a way that was life-giving and hope-inspiring. The Sermon on the Mount are a set of teachings that create a vision of the world as God intended, what it looks like to not just live, but to thrive as children of God, what it looks like to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Here in Matthew, we see a shift in verse 13 from the happy or blessed are you statements to an emphatic you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. If you've grown up in or around Christianity, these verses are so familiar and integral to the church. In fact, the phrase salt of the earth in our wider culture has come to describe a certain type of person, like someone who lives out in the country, working the land, a homespun, simple, straightforward, trustworthy, and good person. We say Ray or Sue is a salt of the earth person. The way most of us have heard these verses is in the form of a directive like this. You are the salt of the earth. So make sure that you are doing the things that represent Jesus and will cause others to want to follow him. It's morality code management. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You know, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or run with folks who do. A popular slang saying 50 years ago, to which caused most of us to go and do those things instead like the actress Jane Russell in the 60s who said, I go to church and believe in God, but also, as the saying goes, I smoke, I drink, I chew, and I go with boys who do. In this mindset, we hear, if salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled on as an expectation of how we are supposed to be and do in the world as a Christian. Salt is a seasoning and flavor enhancer, so we need to do the things to make the world taste better or we're not being a good Christian. This is what happens when we read the scriptures from a Western, white, evangelical, fundamental worldview. We interpret it through the lens of our own experience rather than the lens of the community who first heard it. Randolph Richards and Brandon O'Brien wrote a book called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. It's a book that works to help one recognize and remove the cultural blinders that get in the way of understanding the Bible. They state, 
The most powerful cultural values are those that go without being said. It is very hard to know what goes without being said in another culture. We instinctively fill in gaps with a piece from our own culture, with usually what also goes without being said. When we miss what went without being said for their culture, we are at risk for misinterpreting scripture. So how would this first century ancient Hebrew community have heard Jesus using a metaphor of salt to describe this crowd of people? First of all, who was listening? It says that he was teaching his disciples on the mountainside. So we might think it was the 12 men following him around, right? But Matthew also describes the large crowds who were beginning to follow him around as a result of his teachings and healing the sick. And we're told that the crowds were amazed at his teachings. So those present were a crowd of people. You are is plural and was spoken with emphasis. He wasn't whispering to a few chosen followers. He was telling them all, the whole crowd, that they were salt. And we must remember who were in the crowds. The crowds were full of those on the, mar on the margins. And Jesus was at work flipping the narrative to bring those from the margins to the center and those at the center to go outward to the margins. So what did Jesus imply without saying so when he said, you are salt? Was he talking about seasoning the earth with good actions? Maybe, but I believe he was speaking to things more profound than we could that we could easily miss in our 21st century context, unless we press in and pay close attention. First, Jesus is telling them who they are, the misfits, the marginalized, the forsaken, and misunderstood. He said, you are the salt, this was a declaration of identity. He's not saying you need to become salt or you are supposed to be salt. You are already salt. Jesus sees us as we are. These you are statements are 100% descriptive. It describes our essence. We are the salt of the earth. We are that which will enhance or embitter soothe or irritate, melt or sting, preserve or ruin. For better or for worse, we are the salt of the earth, and what we do with our saltiness matters. It matters a whole lot. Whether we want to or not, whether we notice or not, whether we're intentional about it or not, we impact the world we live in. Second, you are precious. We know from taking a look back through the history of salt on earth that it was essential for life. It was a commodity so instrumental to life that it was woven into the DNA of creation, the earth, and all living beings. In fact, our bodies are partially made of salt. More than just an option at the table in ancient Israel, Salt played a vital role in many facets of living. Third, 
You are in an everlasting covenant relationship with Christ for the sake of the world. A reference to salt in this ancient Hebrew crowd would have probably brought up images of another practice salt was used for. While in the desert, God instructed the Israelites to bring all their sacrifices and offerings to the priests with salt. The priests were supposed to use a portion of the offerings to feed their families. Salt would have been vital to preserve these food offerings. However, there was much more intended in this practice. Numbers 18:19 reads, All the holy gift offerings that the Israelites raised to the Lord I have given to you, your sons and your daughters. This is a permanent regulation. It is a covenant of salt forever in the Lord's presence for you and for your descendants. Fast forward generations later, a reference to King David in 2 Chronicles 13.5. Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of salt, meaning an everlasting covenant? The covenant of salt is a symbol of permanence, an enduring covenant that continues through all generations. God established an everlasting covenant with David's line of kingship. And Jesus, we know, is from the line of David. For Jesus to say to this crowd of people, you are the salt of the earth, is to say, a new covenant that is everlasting and permanent is being established with you through me for the sake of the world. You are the salt of the world. I am restoring you to relationship with God, and this is not just for you, but for all the earth. I'm flipping the narrative. Those who are in the lowest places of society will be lifted up, and you will change the world. If you've been around Resonate for a while or attended a wedding officiated by Kevin, you've heard him say that there are three parts of a covenant, parties, terms, and promises. The parties of this covenant of salt are you and me and Jesus. The terms are forever, and the promise is that Christ's kingdom will reign on this earth through us, the salt. A few verses later in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will tell his followers that he has not come to do away with the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. He is restoring God's kingdom, but not in the way they expected. And finally, salt is best when it's poured out. If salt stays in the kitchen cabinet, is it much use in the kitchen? Salt does not exist to preserve itself. It exists to preserve what is not itself, to bring out the best of wherever it goes. Salt is meant to enhance, not dominate. The presence of salt is often invisible, but the effects are noticed. Christian saltiness heals. It doesn't wound. It purifies. It doesn't desiccate. It softens. It doesn't destroy. Jesus warns about losing, losing one's saltiness and effectiveness, but this seems to be more of a rhetorical warning because the only way for salt to truly lose its saltiness is if it's totally diluted from an outside source. In fact, the Greek word here for taste, moreno, means to be made foolish, 
So to be tasteless is to be unwise or to lack good judgment. We say someone lacks taste, meaning they lack the ability to recognize things that are of a low quality or they lack basic tact or decency. To lose sight of our mission to be a preservative of God's goodness in a world struggling with decay is foolishness. So to recap, to be salt means to accept who we are, humans impacting the world for good, black, brown, white, male, female, gay, straight, cisgender, transgender, we are all the salt of the earth. To be salt means that you are precious. You are woven into the DNA of God's kingdom. To be salt means you are in an eternal forever covenant with God to restore God's kingdom on earth. And to be salt means we exist to be poured out, to preserve and enhance goodness, and to bring healing to a wounded world. I want to end with one of the more modern stories we have of salt. It was March 1930 when Mahatma Gandhi and his followers set off on a brisk 241-mile march in 24 days to the Arabian sea town of Dandi to lay Indian claim to the nation's own salt. History tells us, as with many other commodities, Britain had kept India's salt trade under its thumb since the 19th century, forbidding natives from manufacturing or selling the mineral and forcing them to buy it at high cost from British merchants. Since salt was a nutritional necessity in India's steamy climate, Gandhi saw the salt laws as an inexcusable evil. In a letter to the British Viceroy, Gandhi wrote, My ambition is no less than to convert the British people through nonviolence and thus make them see the wrong they have done to India. Arriving at the shore, Gandhi and his, follower, and his fellow marchers began to illegally harvest salt. 80,000 people were arrested, 80,000, and many beaten by the police. Imprisoned, Gandhi refused to eat or drink, raising concern for the British it would have been an embarrassment for them for Gandhi to die of starvation. After one year, he was released, upon which the, vice, the viceroy, Lord Irwin, agreed to negotiate. The two signed a pact, allowing the release of thousands of prisoners and for Indians living on the coast, the right to harvest and produce salt from the sea. Gandhi through nonviolence, was able to bring about life-giving change for the people of India. He inspired a movement of nonviolence throughout the world, inspiring others like Martin Luther King, Jr., 35 years later. That political change could occur through nonviolent means. Gandhi worked for the liberation of salt and for the people of India, but Gandhi also was salt himself, salt for the sake of the world. Gandhi was the change he wished to see in the world. 
We are all salt. And the change God wants for the world. Resonate. May we go and be the salt that we are. This is a time in our broadcast where we share in the table of communion. If you have bread and wine or juice available or coffee and donuts, go ahead and get that now. The sign over the door to God's kingdom declares whosoever will may come. That means whether you're rich or poor, you're welcome at the table. Whether you're black, brown, or white, you're welcome here. Whether you are male or female, you're welcome here. Whether you are gay or straight, cisgender or transgender, you are welcome here. Whether you are with limitations or hesitations, you are welcome here. Your seat at God's table is not up for discussion or debate. It is ever and always yours. Before he was led to the cross, Jesus said to his followers, I will not eat or drink from this table until I share it again with you in the new kingdom. Taking the bread and dipping it in the wine, he said, eat and drink in remembrance of me. God, thank you that you see us and that you call us into the reality of a better world. Walk with us and lead us together with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Resonate, I hope you are able to keep cool today from the triple-digit heat. If you are in the area and need a cooling station, please let us know and we can help you find that today. Have a great week.